Dotnet Rocks episode 642 with guests Bruce Lawson and Remy Sharp. Recorded live Monday, February 21st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Canada and the Ignite Your Coding podcast series on web development. Finding the time to keep your skills current can be a challenge, especially in the world of web development. That's why the folks at Microsoft Canada felt it was a good idea to connect you with industry experts to discuss topics on web development. As part of this four-part series known as Ignite Your Coding, you'll hear about HTML5, CSS, JavaScript, and Microsoft's work around interoperability through web standards. For more information about this episode, as well as other episodes of the Ignite Your Coding podcast series, check out msdn.microsoft.ca slash ignite. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. It's Carl, it's Richard, and it's .NET for the next hour. How are you, man? I am well, my friend. And I'm really excited about the fall conference season, or the spring conference season first. The fall's going to be good, but spring's going to be excellent. TechEd's going to be amazing. In Atlanta, we're going to uh, we're probably doing Speaker Idol again. I think we my are. band's going to play. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing some interviews and just being uh, hanging out with people, hoping you'll stop by and see us wherever we are. Yep. Because we're always having a good time. Um, hey, so anyway, Heisenberg is speeding down the street, and he gets pulled over by a cop. And the cop oh, says, no. do you know how fast you were going? And he says, no, but I know exactly where I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, atomic physics jokes. That's where we're going now. You like okay. that one? Yeah, I like that one. All right. Let's get into Better Know Framework. All righty. All right. So uh, I have been talking more about Silverlight stuff, and today I want to talk a little bit about Code signing, signing your zap. If you have an out of browser uh, Silverlight application and you want to use elevated trust, that's fine. But um, you, if you really want to uh, reap the benefits of this, you need a, a code certificate. You need to sign your zap file with a code certificate. And um, there are some benefits to doing that. First of all, is native integration, which is the ability to access common interop and windows and all that stuff also you want access to the file system a trusted app can can hit the uh, documents videos pictures and music folders of a profile you have cross-domain networking access so in an out-of-browser trusted application you can actually hit a uh, a url that's not on your particular network not okay. on your network well you can't do that unless you're unless you're cross-domain, unless you're trusted. Um, also, you get the full file path on open and save file dialogues. And there's also some socket security restrictions that are lifted. So to do zap signing, I recommend going to tinyurl.com slash yzap, W-H-Y-X-A-P. This is an article from Channel 9. Uh, written by, um, well, John Papa and Adam Kinney are the two, are the two uh, people that are credited on it. And it tells you all the benefits and also how to do it. Now, certificates. Getting certificates can be, well, not cheap, but I found a really inexpensive place to get 
certificates. You can get a code signing certificate from startssl.com for 49 bucks. Nice. Yeah, so that's pretty good. That's pretty cheap. It is pretty cheap. So there you go. Um, you go. Check out that article. Also, Tim Hewer did a really good video uh, on Silverlight, on code signing, and how to do it. And he takes you, walks you through in a video the whole process of doing it. So, Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off our shiny new website, my friend. Yeah, where you can leave comments, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll get our the guests involved. So if you want to communicate with the guests, just write a comment right on the website. Go to dotnetrocks.com. Check it out. We've got a great comment engine. Uh, it connects to Facebook. It connects to Twitter. And there was a comment on show 636. And that's the one on Ruby on Windows. And the question is not actually Ruby on Windows at all. It's from Harry Air. Whichever hmm. that means. Okay. Saying, hi, Carl. Thanks for the new website. One thing that is killing me, though, is that new Silverlight player you're using. It does not work on my Android phone. Please ah. help. Yeah, well, if you go to m.netrocks.com, you'll get our mobile version. And that will work on any phone. There you go. Simple solution. One site one and, and one solution to it. So thanks for sending the comment, Harry Air. I hope you get that figured out. And we'll ship you out a mug. And if you'd like a mug, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net, or write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. Hey, Carl, this is the first of the Ignite Your Coding series for web developers, uh, sponsored by Microsoft Canada. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's going to be the next four Thursdays. We're going to be doing another one in this series and thinking about the future of web development a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're all about. We got some really interesting shows, real top flight guys, uh, focus on HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, interoperability, all kinds of great topics. So I'm sure you'll be wanting to listen in every Thursday for the next uh, four shows. Uh, I'm very excited, Richard, today because our guests are two of the luminaries in the HTML5 space, Bruce Lawson and Remy Sharp. Born into the tech world when he was hastily delivered on a table in the London Science Museum. We're going to have to find out that story. Bruce Lawson evangelizes open web standards for Opera. He co-authored Introducing HTML5, the first book on the subject, and was a member of the W3C Mobile Web Best Practices Working Group. Previously, he's been front-end technical lead for the Law Society and Solicitor's Regulation Authority websites. Also, tutor to a princess's daughter in Thailand a movie extra in Bombay, and a tarot card reader in Istanbul. He blogs at brucelawson.co.uk, drinks Guinness, and is training for a blue belt in kickboxing. Remy Sharp is the founder and curator of Full Frontal, the UK-based JavaScript conference. He also runs jQuery for Designers, co-authored Introducing HTML5, adding all the JavaScripty bits, and is one of the curators of HTML5Doctor.com. Whilst he's not writing articles or running and speaking at conferences, he runs his own development and training company in Brighton called Left Logic. Generally speaking, he's about as crazy about JavaScript, HTML, and CSS as a squirrel is about his nuts during the winter. <laughs> did you write that, Remy? Cool. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a... Uh, Squirrels in winter reminds me. We've had quite a we've had quite a morning here. They don't hibernate either. They're they're cold. I know. Yeah, we had a hell of a, a morning here. Uh, sort of a comedy of errors. The, the the first of all, it snowed last night, 
Uh, I woke up this morning, I look outside, everything's covered in a blanket of snow. And uh, you were telling, you, one of you guys was, before we started recording, telling us a story about uh, things going on in your house that uh, are noisy that we might get interrupted by. And uh, Richard also, I guess, something happened to your next door neighbor this morning. Oh, one of the neighbor's boys decided to go down the stairs an interesting way and is managed to shatter the lower part of his leg. So, some drama. And somebody's drilling in a wall or something? Oh, yeah, my uh, neighbor's trying to break through into the interview. He wants a piece of the action. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, we should have an interesting collection of sound effects today. <laughs> that's right. So, if you hear any large drilling, that's what's going on. Well, uh, so we have talked about HTML5 to our audience and with our audience uh, in the context of you know, this is sort of the future as to where things are going and trying to figure out what Microsoft's strategy and offerings are going to be to that end. Um, and then, of course, in the .NET space, we had this whole Silverlight is dead, HTML5 is the future scare, in which people went out and immediately started trashing all their Silverlight code, and it turned out to be a bunch of rubbish, too. And so, so there's a there's a, a some great anticipation in the Microsoft world, anyway, about things to come with HTML5. But maybe we should just start uh, at the historical perspective and and tell us when H, when and how HTML5 came about and and why. Well, um, it goes back really to the late nineties. And um, the W3C, the organization that write the standards for, uh, for the web, decided that um, HTML wouldn't, wouldn't be evolved anymore after HTML4. This is in 98. And in 99, they uh, crossed, the, uh, crossed the T's and dotted the I's of HTML4.01. And then they um, decided that the future was going to be XML. And right. we all started to write uh, XHTML code, which was just HTML um, dressed up as XML, if you like. Right. Had some of the conventions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was great. But then they they kind of lost the plot a bit at the W3C, and they started work on something called XHTML2, which was um, it was it, it was the web done right. So they. They threw away lots of the um, the witty, there were the weird things that had organically sprung up in the Microsoft Netscape wars, and, and decided to do HTML properly. And a lot of the stuff they were specking was actually not compatible with the web that that really exists mm. and didn't work in any browsers. And so some of the guys um, where I work in Opera in Norway weren't convinced that breaking backwards compatibility was the way forward, and they started work on a, a small proof-of-concept spec, which they called WebForms 2, which extended classic HTML, uh, but didn't break backwards compatibility. Uh, and, and they were joined in with some guys from Mozilla and then some guys from Apple who just started up their own, if you like, under-the-radar mailing list where interested people could comment upon and further develop this spec. Um, <clears throat> what was interesting was that this, this mailing list was open to, to absolutely anybody in the world and, and, and is still open to anybody in the world. So it didn't matter if you were a representative of one of the big companies that pays lots of money, the W3C, or if you were a 20-year-old uh, computer science student in Bombay. If your idea was good, 
it will go in the spec. And if your idea was uh, was rubbish, it wouldn't go into the spec, regardless of, of who you were or who you represented. And then in 2006, I think, the W3C changed its mind and realized that HTML needed uh, evolving and XML wasn't the future for everybody. Mm. And so when they rechartered the HTML working group, they used this spec that um, Opera, Mozilla, and Apple had been working on um, as the basis for the new HTML, and they called it HTML5. Uh, by that point, there were guys from Google working on it as well because the Opera chap moved to work for Google. And um, then the lead developer of Internet Explorer at the time, Chris Wilson, was um, one of the co-chairs of the working group in the W3C. So you've got all five browser manufacturers working together there on, on the spec. And, and, and that's, that's really the history of it. You said this was 96 that it started to gel? Uh, 2006. Oh, 2006. I'm sorry. So it really is. Uh, and and the thing that w became apparent to us when we started looking at it was that the 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 estimated time of completion of the spec is like what 12 years away. Mm -hmm. What is that but, all about? Uh, but but that that really uh, that, that that's an answer to the question: When will the spec be completed? Yeah. But the question itself um, is a bit of a meaningless question. Yeah, because it's never completed. If you think about it, HTML 4.01 was completed in yeah. 1999, but isn't fully implemented by any one browser yet. I see. Um, we're all happily using CSS2 and lots of modules from CSS3, yeah. even though those specifications aren't completed yet. Um, one of the reasons that the spec will take so long to to be, inverted commas, complete is that the W3C defines completed as there being two complete and interoperable implementations of the spec. So okay. it can't be called complete until you can already use it. I see. So, uh, And it's kind of it, like the history of the Internet is like that. I mean, all the standard protocols are still in what we would call RFC documents, a request for comments. Even, yeah. I think, uh, SMTP is still in a, you know, hey, this is a suggestion phase, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in fact, the um, there's two groups developing HMR5. There's the W3C and the the original uh, guerrilla group, if you like, called the WhatWG which stands for Web Hypertext Application Technology Working Group. Mm. And the WG have just said that um, their version of the spec won't have any more version numbers. So it's not called HTML5, it's just called HTML, the living standard. And it's, it's precisely because of that. We know that in the, the world of the Internet, uh, things don't get nicely versioned and then implemented in in toto by yeah. all the interested parties who then sit around and wait for another iteration of the spec. It's a lot more organic and nasty and slippery and fluid than, um, than that would suggest. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our very good friends at Telerik. If you're like me, you're using Facebook on a daily basis. You also might want more control on what you're seeing and how you're seeing it. If that's the case for you, try FaceDeck. FaceDeck 
is a Silverlight-based client application for Facebook, now supported by Telerik. The product was formerly known as Microsoft Client for Facebook Beta. The news about Telerik taking over the application from Microsoft was announced by Scott Guthrie at his Firestarter event keynote. FaceDeck has a nice, elegant, black finish touch. You can upload photos with a simple drag-and-drop operation from your file system to your FaceDeck. You also have instant access to your webcam. What's more, FaceDeck will save you from notifications from unwanted applications. You only see what you care for. And of course, it's free. Try it at facedeck.telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. One more thing before we move on here, and that is um, a lot of a lot of developers, I suspect, that just work with tools and build websites and things may not know uh, the different versions of base browser implementations that are out there, like the like WebKit, and w- on what platforms this uh, is being used, and what browsers and what platforms are rewriting their browsers from scratch. Um, particularly interested in the iPhone. Can you give us sort of an overview of of uh, of WebKit and where it's permeated and and uh, what some of the other browsers are using. Um, I'll start off and then I'll hand over to Remy because Remy's much more of um, knowledgeable about the, the 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 funkier features, the the APIs. But basically, it's moving so fast now that practically anything I tell you now will be out of date by the time this this goes live if you like, uh, it's a real white heat of implementation now. And and a lot of that is due to the fact that the specification uh, process has been so rigorous that a lot of the the debates have nailed down the specs so tightly that when it comes to implementing it, that's kind of just the the final thing to do. Um, You'll see significant implementation in... Uh, the WebKit browsers in Opera and Firefox, although each of those browsers has its own focus, so you'll see more forms stuff in uh, in Opera, for example. You'll see um, yeah. uh, different stuff in the WebKit things. Where did WebKit and come from? It was an open source project uh, originally, um, which Apple decided to use for Safari, and then uh, Google decided to use for Chrome. Um, but the, the, the browser that's really trailed behind has been Internet Explorer, but yeah. IE9 has a lot more stuff. And now I'm well out of my comfort zone, so I'm going to hand over to Remy, who will give you the rest of the info. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, HTML5 is uh, it's more than just HTML, which uh, which is kind of weird on the whole. You know, it's called HTML, but actually there's a hell of a lot of JavaScript in there. Um, and the, the JavaScript technology that's uh that's supported there's there's actually a decent chunk of it that's supported in quite a few of the browsers mm. um so for instance local storage or uh web storage is now being split out of html5 but during the spec process within html5 that's in uh ie8 firefox 3 uh opera 10 uh safari 4 or 5 and chrome so it's in every single browser and it's supported well um and on the iPhone? On the iPhone, yeah. I mean, iPhone is is normally as close to, close to uh, Safari support, basically. Yeah. Uh, Safari support's pretty good for a lot of the APIs. Chrome support's generally better than Safari. Um, but Safari's, I mean, 
for the vast majority of stuff that's in Safari today, it'll also be in the latest versions of the iOS stuff. So uh, offline applications, Canvas, video, um, content editable, geolocation, which isn't HTML5 at all, but um, yeah, uh, most of those APIs are pretty consistent between between the desktop browser and the um, the actual mobile browser. Mm. There are some things that are still not, you know, uh, quite cut it, like the history API. Apparently, a little bit ropey in um, in uh, the, the iPhone, but works just fine on the desktop in WebKit, both Chrome and um, and Safari. But I mean, there's uh, there's websites like CanIUse.com where you can put in a technology, and it'll give you a list of all the different browsers, all the different versions, and kind of what the state of the support is. Oh man! Um, and uh, I uh, I can't remember his name now, but the guy who supports it has gone through and has got really really thorough um, information on all the browsers, every single version. Um, you know, going back to kind of and and also giving like a rec- general recommendation. If you want to use this natively out of the box, whether or not it's kind of uh, the point in which you you should be, you know, you should be using it. Not looking at any stats of your users for your, your you know, your product, but yeah. It, I mean, it's it. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm a bit of a hippie when it comes to this stuff. I think it's actually looking quite hopeful. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, IE nine does bring quite a bit of uh, the new APIs into IE, which means that it's now on you know IE's ladder and it's kind of i10 will have more and it'll be getting there. I mean, it's still missing a few bits, things like the offline applications, the uh, the ability to use a website without actually having an internet connection. I think it's really interesting, um, but it in, isn't in IE9. Uh, as, as, I mean, I know it's not a final release yet, but it's. I don't think it's coming. But, you know, maybe next version, maybe. So that's a um, feature that I haven't heard about. Um, and, and is this essentially the browser implementing a sort of a little web server that does uh, it, serves up static pages? Sort of. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's effectively a cache, but it's a cache that you as the developer control. You can say, right, I want this application, to uh, this web app to uh, work offline, therefore I need these images to be loaded offline, I need uh, these web pages to work offline, I need this CSS to work offline, this JavaScript. And you can build a little kind of, um, you know, wall off your application when it's offline. And then when it's online, it can get past those points. So if you try and navigate to a part of your application that requires the internet and you're offline, using the offline application spec, you can, you can say, if they're offline and this page isn't available, serve this instead. So you can say, you know, this part of the, the application is, is not available at the moment. Wow. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's lots more, uh, APIs that make browsers to me really, really interesting. I've got a, I, I focus heavily on the JavaScript side, so you know I'm like a, a kid with a lot of new toys, basically. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but there's a lot of this stuff that's actually a little bit older and is is in the browser. It has been in the browser for a longer time. Um, I guess drag and drop has been in the browsers for a long time, and IE kind of came up with that in the first place, and it was reverse engineered by by the guys who were doing the uh, the what WG spec, uh, yeah, the what WG specs and I mean, it's it's a nasty API, but it's it's in um, a lot of the browsers, and it's in a lot of the old versions of IE. If you wanted to use native drag and drop, um, uh, content editable, being able to you know, uh, kind of WYSIWYG type editors, that that's in every single browser and was in IE quite a long time ago. I mean, there's not lots, but there's a few. Um, and like I said, IE nine's kind of 
it's showing positive signs of, of HTML5 love. There's, you know, the video element and the, the canvas element and, uh, uh, and, you know, loving of, uh, of APIs. They've got the, uh, geolocation, which is, it's kind of, I mean, in the, in the book that Bruce and I wrote, we, uh, it's called H- Introducing HTML5, but we, we, we deemed geolocation too sexy not to include. So, <laughs> you know, we just kind of shoehorn that one in and just, uh, just apologize in advance. So it's good to see kind of IE picking that up as well. It, it, it's worth um, reiterating what Remy just said there, is that uh, HTML5 is uh, not, even, not only is it a markup and JavaScript, but it, it combines lots of sexy new stuff with lots of stuff that we've seen in some browsers for half a decade. Uh, so, like Remy said, content editable was invented by Microsoft in IE5, I think. Drag and drop was invented by Microsoft. Uh, web forms were invented by Opera, and Canvas was invented by Apple. And everybody spent thousands of man hours uh, reverse engineering each other's code, and then putting it in their own browsers. And of course, reverse engineering is is absolute nonsense because it's a waste of time and it can introduce right. bugs. And so, the original part of the HTML5 effort. I think when they realized they had uh, a big revolutionary spec rather than just um, a slight evolution was when they decided they were going to retrospectively standardize all interoperable behavior between the browsers. So everything that works everywhere, even if it had never been written down before, got put into the spec. And so when um, when Microsoft decided that they wanted to implement canvas they didn't have to reverse engineer anything the the spec was just sitting there waiting for them to implement which of course is fantastic news for interoperability because if you if it's specced rigorously enough and assuming you don't introduce bugs when you're coding it you're going to end up with an interoperable product because it's specified for you yeah i mean that that, and just to follow on from Bruce, that's actually the most important thing to me as a developer, knowing that there's one uh, blueprint that all the browsers are now following. You know, 10 years ago, it was a very, very different situation. They were, you know, we were, browsers were kind of giving us technology and going, you know, it's there, help yourself, and then it's completely different in another browser, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, JavaScript got a bit of a bad rep because uh, it was, the, the implementations weren't very good in terms of the, the DOM API. Now this stuff is written down in, you know, uh, excruciating detail, but particularly for the browser uh, vendors. So if, uh, you know, uh, like I said, IE9 had just added geolocation, but they had the spec there in, fo- you know, black and white, they followed it, and the implementation is going to be exactly the same as the one in Opera or the one in, um, in Chrome. So I know as a developer that I'm not going to be mocked around and I've got a solid foundation of uh, a platform to develop against. Maybe I'm actually cynical or something. I just, I have this feeling that we're not going to be able to avoid the if Chrome, if IE9, if Opera code in our browsers. So there's, so there's a, there's a way of getting around this, this problem. Um, uh, kind of a word that I made up to, to, uh, to explain what, what this is. Um, it's a thing called a polyfill, which um, is a piece of code that will fill that gap in the browser for you so that you as the developer don't have to worry about whether or not the browser does or doesn't have that technology. This 
polyfill, this thing will fill in the cracks in the browser and the technology will be there, regardless if it's Chrome or IE or Opera or whatever it is. Here's the problem. Polyfill only works in Opera. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say polyfill, I think like, you're, are you talking about spackle, the stuff you put on yeah, the wall? Yeah, the idea is exactly the yeah. same as spackling. It's, right. you, you fill a crack in a browser. The browser doesn't have geolocation, we'll put it in. Yeah. And if the browser does have geolocation, it just doesn't use the code. But the API is then um, replicated exactly the same as the one that's spec'd out in, uh, in the documentation. And I, as a developer, write my code as if geolocation is there. And there's things for WebSockets, there's things for uh, Canvas, there's things for um, geolocation. And uh, the guys that, um, uh, who uh, developed the Modernizer, they've, they've got a full, or they're maintaining a list of all these different polyfills, which people in the community are contributing little bits of code. You know, things like the class list uh, API. There's a, there's a really simple API for adding and checking and removing classes on DOM elements. That's really easy. If that, it's really easy to use, but if it isn't in the browser, we can add this, this piece of JavaScript, the shim or polyfill or whatever you want to call it, but it just adds the technology there if it's not there in the first place. And I can, I can behave like the browser I'm working in as a mature addition to the, uh, you know, the, the web ecosphere. I guess the presumption there is that if a feature is implemented, it's implemented correctly as well. Yeah. yeah and, you know, that's something you have to kind of draw the line at at some point. It, there's, the specs are in a much, much better state today as they were compared to 10 years ago. Um, you know, like I said, the, these specs are written for the vendors first, and then us, the developers, have to kind of you know, pick out the bits that we actually need to be able to implement these things. The, the vendors have really fine detail in, in, in these specs to actually implement the technologies, I mean, there's, there are still subtle differences, or there are bugs, but it's not it's not you know 2001 anymore. It's it's not we can we can contribute back out. We can raise bugs and they get filed and they get fixed. You know, WebKit's an open source project. Um, Opera, I know you, you guys have a, a, a bug reporting uh, list, don't you? Sure, yeah. yeah. It's uh, bugs.opera.com/wizard. So you know, there's a lot. There's, there's not just one, you know, big browser anymore. We've got choice, and we can push the browsers to actually fix these things. They, I don't think they'll just sit there broken forever. I think if there's, if there's bugs, they're going to be specific bugs. Because I've, I've come across some, and they are specific little things. You file a bug, and the next revision that comes out, it's fixed, and it's. I'm. I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm a bit more of a kind of wide-eyed hippie. Yeah, Remy, I, you, you, I feel like you are an optimist. I'm more concerned about the situation we get into where it's operating by design, and yet by design is different between the browsers. I don't think, um, uh, and I, I represent uh, a browser manufacturer, but I'm not one of the clever guys that writes the C++ that powers the browsers. But I know from speaking to those guys that... Uh, we're living in a world now where we actually have a spec that people can implement from. Uh, HTML4 was uh, was quite a hand-wavy affair and didn't really give you much help as, well, actually as a developer or an implementer in how really to use this stuff. Mm. Um, also, of course, what happened was because the the standards were slow to move, the browser manufacturers heard developers' calls for extra functionality and so just made it up 
So, but now uh, the, the specification team are much more responsive to what people actually want to do, um, a lot more rigorous in the way they write the specs. And, and another reason why the specifications won't be finished till 2012 or 2022 is they're actually writing test suites now, which the browser vendors are testing against. Um, I believe they're going to be something like 30,000 tests Wow. In the HTML5 test suite, which will need to be to be written, there, there's no test suite for HTML4. Uh, people who know computer science better than I do tell me that you couldn't have a test suite for HTML4 because it's not specified in a testable way, whereas HTML5 is. I tend to think that it's the nature of... Uh, capitalism, if you'd say, to have incompatibilities between competing products. I mean, incompatibilities to a company that produces a browser is called an edge over the competition. That's yeah, what an incompatibility see, I, is. I, I believe that what we need is the browsers to compete on features. So, right. so previously, you might use Internet Explorer 5 because it was the only browser that would work with your banking site because right. your banking site relied upon some horrible plugin or right. some vendor-specific uh, code fork. Um, I believe that it's much better when every browser can uh, render every website interoperably. That's not me speaking as a yeah. browser vendor. That's me speaking as somebody who in my last job, would use one browser at work, i.e. six, one browser at home, uh, Opera, and one browser on my smartphone. But uh, and, of course, it's, it's ridiculous yeah. when you can't access a website on one of those because of, of, of inconsistencies. But here's what, what happens need is, in the real world. The browsers to compete upon features, on usability, sure. on look and feel, not um, by implementing features that are deliberately designed to make it incompatible, so you lock people into one platform or technology. Well, here's what happens. So let's say all the browsers now implement HTML5, right? And everybody's according to the spec and everything's compatible. And then um, let's say that uh, cold fusion is discovered, right? And, and we know now how to produce power uh, from a desktop cold fusion thing. All right. Let's just say that, and that exists as a piece of software. I know. Stay with me. So, uh, Internet Explorer goes and implements this feature that, uh, does this cold fusion thing. And perhaps they don't publish a spec and it just becomes a feature that they have. And it's an edge and a feature. Now, when other companies that don't have access to that spec, go ahead and implement their own versions of it, poof, you've got an incompatibility. That's just what happens. They need to get that feature. That is the new hot feature that has to be in all these browsers, and you have this incompatibility. But those, I mean, that's... XHR is the, the example. You know, um, XML uh, HTTP request. Um, I ha had this ActiveX object that could do this thing, and it was reverse engineered, and now it's spec'd out. But that's not, that's not really a feature to me. To me, a feature in the browser, the one that makes me choose one browser over the other, is things like how, uh, how quickly it boots up, or the security um, that tells me whether or not the, um, you know, this website could be phishing me, 
mm. or um, the security around, or you know, populating my my form details. Or um, was it Opera's got? Uh, do you have widgets? Or um, yeah. IE's got a widget kind thing. You know, you've all got your kind of different widget systems. They're, they're features around the browsers that make uh, that the browser compete rather than this. The white bit in the middle of the browser, that's the view on the web. And that's the bit that, you know, uh, there are specifications for me sending you text that has angle brackets and yeah. letters in between, and you render it like this. I get that. And I, I and what I'm saying is everybody, let's say everybody implements all the things that are spec'd out. and But specs usually follow features, right? It's not usually yeah. the way. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that. I mean, the, the spec it is... Uh, specking out things that are that were in browsers. There's a few new bits, but there's a there's quite a few bits that um, you know you kind of like Canvas was in uh, Safari and Webforms was in uh, in in Opera. And right. So are you suggesting that the browser manufacturers be forward thinking enough that when they implement a feature, um, publish the protocols and the methods for implementing it on all the other browsers so that their competitors can easily compete with them? That's what's been happening for the last six years in the um, in the development of HTML5. I don't see personally why it would change. I, I hope it wouldn't change. So, for example, um, people just yesterday have said from one browser, you know, we see a use for this uh, functionality. We're thinking about this API. What do you guys think? And then um, everybody else. It's not just a closed shop of browser manufacturers. It's uh, the open working group that I uh, expounded on earlier. Everybody else um, participates in that discussion because it's the web. It's it's for everybody. Yeah. In the same way that um, when you buy a television, you expect that it will show you any TV program. And the TVs compete upon extra features, you know, the, the the reflectability of the screen or the unlosability of its remote control or the uh, surround sound or something like that. But mm. um, it would be abominable if only Sony TVs could pick up the Sopranos, whereas only Samsung TVs could pick up Raster Mouse, for example. <laughs> there's, uh, there's also, I mean, there, there is some, uh, in some part, what you're talking about is happening anyway. Right. Um, I mean, for instance, Chrome has got, uh, is implementing the HTML5 specs and the other uh, specifications that, that are out there. But it's also come up with a notification API, which isn't part, that didn't come out of uh, the WhatWG. They just, they, they use notifications with Gmail. They wanted to be able to get Gmail to tell the browser that the new email has come in. So they wrote a spec they implemented it into Chrome, and they released the specs so that other browsers can implement it, so that other browsers can use that feature that makes, you know, they're, they're making use of that feature in a product of theirs already. It, it, if everyone has every single uh, HTML5 spec, for instance, and Chrome just has this additional one notification spec, the other browsers going to implement it as well. But obviously, Chrome was there first, but it doesn't. As a developer, I may say, right, okay, only Chrome has this or only IE has this. I'm going to make a decision as to whether or not I implement it. HTML5 isn't one tick box. It is lots and lots of right. different technologies that are at different states of implementation. Unfortunately, it's all in one spec, unlike CSS3. Mm. But it's, 
a little bit of that's happening now, but it's it, like Bruce is saying. There's the, you know they're having that discussion that it's done openly and. Chrome coming up with this notification API, they want other people to implement it because right. it means that, you know, they can reliably use this notification API. Yep. And, and I, you know, I could use it in my website, you know, my products, if I knew the other browsers were using it as well. Absolutely. I mean, the notification API is a great example because they opened the spec out. Now there's a working group and a friend of mine who works at Opera called Anna Van Kesteren is the chair of the working group. How uh, how are we keeping coordinated between what G and the W3C? It just seems odd that we have both. That's a, that's a, a great question. Um, it, it's probably fair to say that there are significant cultural differences between the, the two organizations. Um, and Ian Hickson, the editor of the spec, Mm-hmm. is the editor of both specs. So he's the editor of the HTML5 spec with the with the W3C and the editor of the um, HTML living standard with the WG. Um, the, the, the cultural difference has been such that um, the WG, because it's open to everybody, um, and I think they, they were estimated there were 800 active participants, it's very difficult uh, and I'd say impossible to seek consensus in a group that wide. So Hickson has been um, kind of adopted an open source model, if you like, of uh, benevolent dictator for life, if you you like, I believe is the term they use. Um, And and it depends very much upon your viewpoint and your history, uh, whether you believe the term benevolent there. I, I personally do but many of my friends do not believe that. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So Ian Hickson is the Linus Torvalds of the HTML5 spec? Yes. Yes, basically. He was the guy in Opera who um, originally kicked off the uh, proof of concept spec, and he's the gatekeeper now. Um, and with the what WG, they have a a commit-then-review process. So they'll add stuff to the spec early and then tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until it's a, a properly specified beast and the implementers actually think it's got a fighting chance of working. Whereas the W3C needs to seek consensus and it's also got a lot of other constituencies to satisfy. So um, some of the web community have accused the W3C of being slower which is kind of unfair because they have very different uh, criteria to satisfy. They have to make sure that um, lots of other stuff is satisfied, and they're keeping a version snapshot of the uh, of the spec, which people can code to and refer to. So it, it, it's a it's a weird situation. It's worked up until now with a few crisis points. Um, and I just prefer to think that it will continue to work after a fashion for as long as we need it. 
um, people people are very conscious of the fact that everything could go horribly wrong. On the other hand, it hasn't gone horribly wrong in half a decade, so let's assume it's not going to. Is where I come from. Remy, what do you what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't I I, I don't follow too much of the politics because I, I, uh, I'm not that massively interested in politics to be fair but uh, as developer I'm more interested in what's in the browsers right now and um, a lot of the HTML5 spec and the specs that are being uh, that are being written there's technology already inside of the browsers so I, I'm more interested in what I can get my hands on now now I know that the what say I know I I know as a developer not having spoken to anyone I look at the specs and I look at the browsers and I know that what was in the what WG was uh, some of it is just documenting what was in the browsers what's mm-hmm. already arrived in the browsers and I realise I started years ago before I really kind of latched onto this properly but it's in the browsers already they're just they're they're merely telling me what's in the browsers and giving me a spec that I can I don't have to poke around in a console and kind of just look at the window object and search through all of the uh, the API the, the methods that are sitting on the window object like I did years and years ago. Um, I do, I mean, when I'm looking for documentation, I tend to start the the uh, the W3C specs um, because because the 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 what WG ones are moving and may actually be ahead of the browsers uh, at the particular point which I'm looking at the. Uh, Looking at that particular piece of technology, but generally, uh, as someone who who's employed by you know multiple different clients to do completely different jobs, I don't really, I don't, I don't really pay much attention to to which one the browsers want to listen to, which one the browser vendors are going and implement, you know, uh, uh, are listening to the most, the W3C or the What WG. I I know they both have their place. Um, I definitely get the feeling that the WG move very quickly, but are much light, uh, much lighter on their feet because they have less less feet to move. That what the 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 W3C they move slower, but there's a lot more um, process to what they're doing in terms of voting and um, and getting everyone's opinion. And I'm I'm just a developer. Uh, I'm I'm not a guy who kind of sits there think about. Thing about the uh, the future, I, I want this. I'm I'm using the technology now, so I'm actually looking at what's in the browser today. You know, and in you know the latest browsers, but also the ones that are before that, and um, seeing what I can actually do. So, I, I think a lot of developers, they you know they they know about them, but they're not going to have a hell of a lot of uh, opinion because it doesn't. It, they don't have much. It doesn't really affect us. I mean, it does, right. but it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. Our day to day job. We need to know where to go for a spec, and I, I, like I said, I look at the W3C ones now because they've now they're now taking a copy of the um, they were they were taking copies of the HTML5 spec, and and now they're working on it. They're actively working on it, um, so I go there first. But you know, I'm, I'm 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 actually writing code, so I need stuff that that works in the browser, and not I don't really mind who tells me. <laughs> well, and, and <laughs> if I understand the history correctly, mm. I mean what. WG actually got this process moving, but the W3C ultimately is the arbiter of the spec. Yeah, but it, the, it, the specs don't mean anything if the browsers don't implement it. Right. That's the bottom line. If the browsers don't implement any of this, none of it matters. It, 
but they are, which is great because it means that I, you know hopefully we have this um, interoperability. And I, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this today. It's happening. Um, so you know, my first port of call is the browser, right? As a developer, I mean, not as a you know, not as a. I don't write specs. I don't. I'm. I. I am. I'm literally the guy that would be contracted to do the project. So, and I think you know, most people are like that. But you guys have sort of engaged in understanding this yeah. whole process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Bruce, even I mean, Bruce is on. Uh, Bruce, am I right in saying that you're you're involved in the committees? I'm more of a, I. I'm more. I kick the tires of the API, and if it didn't work, I'd try and send an email and maybe tell Bruce about it as well, and he might wave a flag <laughs> or something. But yeah, basically, you're cleverer than me, so you um, you do more of the. Uh... The clever work. I've loads of sympathy with with Remy's perspective because I hate politics. The the only reason I really know much about it is because I get asked about it at, at conferences. So, and I, nobody likes to be the guy with the spotlight on him going, I don't know. But um, I, I think for, for me, um, for me, what I love about the W3C is that they have to take into account more constituencies so whereas i really really love uh the video native video and canvas um, right. in the browser i can't help but notice that um the accessibility of those things for people you know with disabilities for people who are blind for example who might need uh some other method of understanding what's on the screen or what's being said in a video if they're deaf are spectacularly ill-served at the moment by um, by the browsers and by the specification. If the W3C had been uh, running the whole show, we yeah. would probably have much better codified uh, methods of ensuring that those technologies are accessible. Conversely, if the W3C had been in charge of those specifying those, those technologies, we might not have those technologies yet. Right. So uh, I, I have lots of sympathy with the fact that um, people want to use these things now. And I'm reassured, frankly, that the guys who are, the guys and the women, of course, who are writing these specs, don't, don't ignore accessibility. They just realize that there's um, an urgency for the, for the technology. And that as long as these things are being specified and implemented pretty soon after uh, the, the text originally hits the browsers, I'm pretty happy because at least they are coming. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the, the history of it is unfortunately that, as Remy said, it doesn't matter what you spec. If the browser manufacturers don't implement it, it's fiction. And that's what happened with XHTML2 where right. we started. Uh, philosophically pure spec with um, great theoretical underpinnings and um, no weird oddities, everything hung together, but it bore absolutely no resemblance to reality and nobody cared enough to implement it. So in that respect, it was a waste of time. Uh, and the WG came in and said, for better or for worse, let's look at what we have now and build upon that. Right. Um, and that, that, I think, is the original culture clash. And it's fair to say as well that, uh, and some of my friends will beat me up for saying this, but it's fair to say that some of the guys in the WG, the, the, the real you know, core group, I think there's a little bit of not invented here 
mentality as well. Mm. Um, you know, if, if we didn't think it up, it's probably not worth considering. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the specs aren't written by computers. Specs are written by people, and people have jobs and concerns and interests and personal rivalries, etc. One day there'll be um, a fascinating soap opera or docudrama. Uh, I think there already is. <laughs> well, and of course, my concern, guys, is that I'm hearing that what's going to make HTML5 not be the train wreck that HTML4 is, is how good the specifications are so that all of the vendors are able to build a consistent product. But now there's some concern about how these specifications come together, that you've got two different groups and they don't always get along. And, you know, that's very challenging to say, be certain that the specs are going to be right. It makes a better spec. If you've got if you've got a group of people, all of whom love each other and clap each other on the back and shout, you're a genius, and then go down the pub, the specs aren't going to be so good. You need that uh, that tension, in my opinion. I, I've never been engaged in any project. Um, but I've been in a a rock band and a theatre direction. Never been engaged in any project that wasn't a better end result for a bit of arguing and bickering in the um, in the planning phase, personally. Mm. An, an interesting point, and maybe ultimately we're going to see that the best way to create great specs is this dual entity model, one that's sort of wild and fast moving, but deeply engaged with the vendors that are actually building it, and the other one that is stodgy and consistent and consensus building that forces the spec through a very narrow sieve to make it right. I, I, I think you might have hit upon um, a truism there. I mean, I, I, we'll only know in retrospect, but uh, I, I think that's sensible we see that with other specs like um like geolocation and uh some of the web application specs that are based upon um vendor specific things that have been road tested for a while and then come to a specification stage and they seem to be pretty robust but again i'm not one of the people who writes the specs because you have to be a a special kind of boffin to do that like hixie <laughs> yeah, indeed. Our the benevolent dictator. I love it. Do you guys have a wish list? To have and have you been influential in any way in terms of uh, you know correcting features or or implementing features? Well, I think my biggest claim to fame was um, making a bit of noise so that links could go around block level elements, which was uh, which was useful. But then. Lots of the other things I've suggested have been um, laughed, laughed out of play for good reason, uh, because I hadn't properly thought, thought them through. I'm engaged upon a guerrilla campaign to um, get rid of the H group element that I think is ill-considered. Well, not ill-considered, but misunderstood. And if people don't understand it, they're not going to use it properly. Um, mm. but, uh, but no, I don't have... Um, I don't have a glorious, glorious career behind me. My wish list is for accessibility that people can use for Canvas and video. I'm more assured that uh, we're going to be able to make video and audio accessible to people with disabilities. I'm less convinced about Canvas personally, but that might be because I don't have the imagination to see how it would be accomplished. But there's a lot of clever people working on these problems, and the problems are out in the open. Okay. 
I mean, I, I, I let Bruce worry about those kind of things. I mean, I do, <laughs> I, I actually do want to see, um, and make sure that, you know, video, uh, and, uh, canvas accessibility is, is, is solved because it is actually, you know, canvas is, without accessibility is no better than Flash, and uh, I caveat that with I know that Flash can be accessible, um, but Canvas is a black hole. What I what I personally want to see is just to see the browsers implementing it. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I build things. I want to use these technologies, and, um, and the, you know, some of them I can, I can get in using JavaScript, so I can get geolocation into every browser, other things I can't. I'm, I like the offline uh, specs. The the WebSocket spec actually is is definitely one of the most interesting to me. But it's it's now under review because of um, a, secu- a potential security uh, issue that's been raised. And I know that that in that same uh, issue that was raised, there was a solution in there. So hopefully the browsers will be implementing a slightly different version of the API. But it will be you know back in the browsers. I just I mean, there's a few niggly little things like uh, um, I think that the small HTML element isn't defined properly, um, but you know that's one tiny element in in this massive uh, of, of technology that is available to me. I think the full screen, you know, full screen APIs is something that could be really interesting. Uh, but then you've got device APIs and mm. loads more. So yeah. I just like, I mean, I'm, I'm just want to get my hands on these things. I, 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 I enjoy building stuff and I enjoy being able to really, you know, take advantage of the browser. I want to make it my you know, bitch basically. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're not making my browser your bitch. Well guys, this has been an utterly fascinating hour. It's flown by and, uh, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have to catch up with you uh, soon in the future to hear all about uh, your feelings and after HTML5 has had some more time to mature. Definitely. Please, you know where we are. We'd be delighted to, to have a chat again. All right, excellent. And until then, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC, yes, I'm